Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got a great Monday morning show for you today, and we start today with BC's new used car tax. Now, this one was contained in the recent provincial budget. It applies to private sales of a used vehicle. The government will now charge the sales tax on the estimated value of that vehicle, not the price you actually pay. Now, why are they doing that? It's to stamp out tax cheating. Let's discuss now with my guest, BC Liberal Party leader, Kevin Falcon. Pleased to welcome him back to the show. Kevin, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Mike. Great to be on. Okay, I know this is an issue that you have something to say about. Let me play here real quickly first, just to set this up for the listener, because people might be wondering, why would the government do this? Well, they say they're trying to stamp out tax cheaters. I'll play a clip here for you to get your thoughts. This is NDP MLA Brenda Bailey, recently in the B.C. legislature, explaining why the government is doing this, and then I'll get your thoughts. Let's have a listen. In fact, there's a bit of fudging that goes on, because people can't, right? There's no um, clear directive or incentive not to skirt around the edges of the rules on this, and lots of people do it. So what happens is, if I'm selling a car for $10,000 and, uh, you know, you agree to pay that amount, uh, that, that would be, uh, what, $1,200 owed to the government for PST. But what's to say, when we have our transfer papers, uh, you ask me, could, could I say that, that I bought it for $5,000? I'll still give you the $10,000, but could I say that I bought it for $5,000 and then I only have to pay $600 PST. And people do this, right? Folks selling cars feel pressured. They want the deal to go through. They're trying to be friendly. And folks buying cars want, want the deal. And, and people don't really think about this as tax evasion. You know, I, I don't think folks doing this sort of recognize that what they're participating in is, is in fact, fraudulent, right? This is tax evasion. Okay, as Brenda Bailey explaining why the government is doing this now, they will now pay, they now charge the PST on the estimated value of the car, not what you paid or what you say you paid. Kevin Falcon, your thoughts on this? Well, look, uh, here's, here's the problem. Their own budget on page 93 points out that this will mostly harm and impact low-income British Columbians. They are the ones that are buying used cars. And yes, I have no doubt, Mike, that there are cases where people with limited income are going to try and, and perhaps find ways to try and cut the amount they're having to pay to the provincial NDP. God knows they're paying a lot more in every other category that's being picked out of their pockets. And so uh, while I don't countenance that, I do think it's fair to you know understand that that probably does take place. But, but what bothers me is this idea of how concerned they apparently are about tax evasion. And yet, they are providing thousands and thousands of dollars of subsidies for upper-income people to be able to buy electric vehicles. And it just strikes me that that's hardly 
a fair approach. So what we suggested, as you know, in the legislature, is an amendment to the bill where we said that if a vehicle is being purchased for $20,000 or less, in other words, the lower cost vehicles, just waive the PST altogether and give these folks a break. And unfortunately, the NDP used their majority to uh, reject that option. Okay, the provincial sales tax on a, a used vehicle is 12%, 12%. That's pretty hefty. So on a 20,000, to use your example there, a used vehicle has cost 20,000 bucks. The tax on that's $2,400, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying that under, under your amendment, that if you bought a used vehicle for 20,000 or under, the tax would be zero. That's right. Okay. And, the, and, and the idea behind that is to look, it's in a context too. The context is, they're right now in British Columbia. We've got the highest gas prices in North America. We've got the highest rents we've ever seen. Housing prices are the highest they've ever been. Grocery prices are going up. And why on earth they would think to ding, uh, you know, folks that are just trying to get, uh, you know, some value in buying a used car to support their family or their business or what have you is beyond me, especially at a time, Mike, as you well know, when they just awarded themselves a retroactive huge pay raise, 40000 for the premier and $20,000 for each cabinet minister. It just makes no sense to me. Okay, what about the people who are cheating the tax man, though, who may be writing up a fake receipt, or maybe they, like the, the MLA said there in the clip we played, maybe you bought a vehicle for 10000 bucks, and then you lie to the government. You say, oh, I only paid 5000 Save a bunch of money. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. We know that some people do that, right? We do. And, and, and yeah. but remember, the, the kind of people that are often doing that are um, the kind of folks that are at the lower end of the income spectrum, and they're already strapped for cash, right? So uh, buying a car for, you know, 10,000 bucks and having to shell out another 1,200 bucks to the government is, that, that's a tough thing to do. So you can understand the rationale. I don't endorse it, but you can understand the rationale. But this is why we said, why don't we just cut those folks a break? Just Every car under 20000 just leave them alone. Just let them buy and sell their cars because these, these are not millionaires that are out buying cars. These are single moms and others that are struggling, and, and it would be a nice thing to do, especially given that they're awarding themselves you know, huge pay increases that are unjustified, frankly, uh, and at a time when people are already struggling with high rents, high gas, high fuel, high housing prices. Speaking to BC Liberal leader Kevin Falcon about the used car tax in British Columbia, let me play another clip here for you from the government. Get your thoughts. So this is NDP MLA Brenda Bailey uh, getting heckled by the Liberals in the House over this used car tax that the government wants to bring in. Here's what she had to say about it. Have a listen to this. This is simply a question of closing uh, some behavior, closing a loophole on behavior that we want to curb because it's, frankly, it's tax evasion. So to, to suggest that this is a new tax is quite a stretch. Um, you know, and I wonder if the other side is suggesting that tax evasion is something that they support. That would surprise me greatly. Um, perhaps they just misunderstand what it is. I, certainly not that we think everyone's a criminal. That's a ridiculous thing to state. Okay, so someone, one of the people on the liberal side, oh, you think everybody's a criminal. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's that's what they're implying. I mean, they really are. Mike, you got to understand, there are I know lots of people that will buy a car. The car may have a blown engine or have severe engine problems. That they're getting it for a good deal because they also yeah. like to work on cars and they'll go and 
spend their time and hours fixing it up and doing the repairs necessary to bring it up to snuff. Um, the problem is they're going to they're going to all be captured by this too. It's just what the government deems the value of that car to be, and you are then on the wrong end of that. Now you have to go to ICBC and try and explain to them, look, yes, I might have got it for a good deal, but I'm having to rebuild the engine for goodness sakes. Well, they'll say, you go and get us an appraisal and prove it. And so you're going to be out time, money, effort, all the rest of it. And it just frustrates me that they're doing this to, to folks at the lower end of the income scale. That's why we said, look, just cut them some slack give them a break at 20,000 and under for good goodness sakes. I can guarantee you Brenda Bailey doesn't drive a car for less than $20,000. It would be nice to just give those folks a break and go after the rest of, of people if they need to. Okay. Well, but, I, I, I don't know what kind of car she drives, but I know for a fact that the used car market in British Columbia and across the country is red hot right now. A lot of people are looking for a used vehicle and they're in very short supply and prices are going up. If you re- eliminate the sales tax, on used vehicles that are worth $20,000 or less, how much of a hit to the government's coffers will that will that cost? Like, that'll cost the government a lot of money, will it not? It will cost about $36 million. So the, the amount of tax they're hoping to gain with this new additional uh, repressive tax that they want to impl- implement is about $30 million. Um, it would cost about $36 million to provide this tax relief. But I would argue, frankly that the time savings in the bureaucracy and the bureaucrats having to fill out forms, try and justify values, doing all this kind of nonsense would be more than saved uh, in that differential between the two values. Thanks for coming on to talk about this today. It's an issue we're following closely here. Thanks very much, Mike. Good to be on. Okay, thank you. Kevin Falcon there, leader of the BC Liberal Party. All right, welcome back to the show. And here we go now with the latest wave of COVID-19 to hit BC. Lots of cases of COVID out there. Lots of people have been sick or they know someone who caught COVID recently. Did we drop the mask mandate too soon? Let's discuss now with my guest, Tamara Taggart. Tamara is a familiar voice in BC, 30 years in TV and radio journalism. She is also an advocate for special needs kids in BC. She is the president of Down Syndrome BC. Uh, she's just getting over a pretty brutal bout of COVID herself. Tamara, thanks for coming on today. Hi. Hi nice to have you on again. I'm sorry to hear you got you had bad uh, bad experience with COVID. When did you start feeling sick? Uh, I started. Well, I know I got it from my husband, who got it when he played at the Commodore. As soon as we were allowed to go back, yeah, to being in a crowd, and you know everybody got it. And uh, when I say everybody, like 10 people that we know got it from that weekend in our circle. And, you know, I thought I I thought I wasn't going to get it. But then, you know, when when you're sleeping with the virus, my husband, uh, (laughs) you end up getting it. So I got it about a week after him. But we were we were lucky that we had somewhere to go and isolate like we had uh, someone's place to stay at that was empty. And we stayed there. We took turns. Wow, and it was pretty rough for you. I've been following you on Twitter, and now you've been talking about how how tough it was. Yeah, I found it really tough. Um, it was it was very strange. I was so tired. I had no taste. I I just felt I can't really describe how I felt. Like it was like out of body almost, and really? you know, like and I couldn't sleep. Uh, yet I was so tired, and I couldn't taste anything. But I was like so hungry, and yeah, it was. I did not enjoy it at all. And then, of course, all three of my kids are sick now, and oh. I keep testing them, but they keep 
testing negative, so it's not easy to test kids either on your own. They don't like it. They don't like that thing going up their nose. Yeah, yeah. How are you feeling now? You sound you sound like you're a lot better. Yeah, I feel pretty good. I mean, I still have a sniffly nose in that, but I think I feel I feel like a new person compared to how I felt just even a few days ago. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that your your kids have been sick, and I know that's a worry for you because it's your your son has Down syndrome, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's upstairs in bed, and he says he's sick again. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing for, for um, you know, parents that have um, kids with a disability. Sometimes we don't know just how sick they are. I know for Beckett, you know, he has a really high tolerance for pain. And mm. he would get strep throat all the time and be able to carry on like it was no big deal, whereas it would, you know, level me and I couldn't get out of bed. So it's it's really hard to kind of know just how much pain or discomfort he's in. So when he says he's sick, I you know I I honor that and keep him home. Talking to Tamara Taggart about the latest wave of COVID in BC. When you have a, a child who has Down syndrome, does, does Down syndrome affect your uh, immune system? Or like, are, are kids with Down syndrome have immune? Are they immune compromised typically? Uh, yes, many yeah. are. And, you know, it's because there's other health um, worries that can come with that extra chromosome. And, you know, there's not a lot of research on people with Down syndrome, not in this province or country, really. We don't even have an exact number of how many people actually have Down syndrome. Um, but there was a study done, I think it was last year, on the, you know, the effects of Down syndrome uh, and COVID and, you know, people with Down syndrome who get COVID have a much higher chance of dying from COVID than your average typical person. So yeah, there's a lot of concerns, a lot of concerns. Yeah, a lot of people, we've, we've just recently lifted a lot of the COVID restrictions in British Columbia. A lot of people think it's, it's time. Others maybe think it's going too soon. Let me play a clip here for you, Tamara, from Dr. Bonnie Henry, uh, talking about at some point we've got to learn to live with this virus, and I'll get your thoughts. Here's Dr. Henry. We are transitioning from these broad societal orders where we needed all of these measures all of the time. But it's not all or nothing. We need to learn to live with COVID-19 better to make sure that we continue our good habits that protect us, our family, and our community. Dr. Bonnie Henry speaking last week. Do you think we lifted the mask mandate too soon in BC? Tamara, your thoughts? I don't, I don't even know why. I mean, I'm still wearing a mask. So I've been vaccinated three times. I now just had covid I think I had it in January when my daughter had it, but I kept testing negative. I'm still wearing my mask everywhere I go, and so do my kids. My kids are wearing them at school. I asked my kids, like, how many of the other kids are wearing masks? And they all, all three of them, everybody's wearing masks in their classrooms. So I don't think for kids it's a big deal. I think that if you, I just don't think it has to be, I get the all or nothing thing, but it's, it's, I don't know how a mask became such a polarizing thing. When masks are worn like elsewhere around the world with no problem, right? We've seen people wearing masks in our, in our community well before um, uh, COVID. But I just don't understand how it's become so polarizing. It should just be another tool yeah. in our toolbox, you know? You uh, called out uh, uh, one of the senior staffers in the premier's office here on, on Twitter the other day who had he had tweeted about people who were second guessing Dr. Bonnie Henry or questioning her health orders or his decisions. And mm-hmm. and you quite bluntly re- uh, responded saying like COVID is is exhausting. A lot of people have died. Many people are very yeah. sick. 
And yes. uh, do you, what was your point there? Do you think like people, like if someone disagrees with Dr. Henry, they, they should be allowed to express their opinion without getting what trolled for well, it? Well, I mean, I think a couple of things. One, he, I don't even know who he is. I just saw his tweet as I was, you know, I, I try to stay away from Twitter when I'm not feeling great. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it depends what kind of mood I'm in and how I respond. Um, but I, you know, I read his tweet and I just thought, who's this guy? And then I went to his, his feed and, oh, he's the, the director of communications for the premier. And I thought, okay, your boss, you know, is, is fighting cancer. He also has COVID. Um, he, he's put, you know, a gif of, of, you know, friends, you know, Ross from friends, and he's made this sarcastic mug tweet. And it's like, really at this point in the game, this is, this is, what you're doing like you're the you're the director of communications like your job is to communicate between uh the government and the public and you know keep us informed and and all of those things and i thought it was super entitled and that's what i got from it it wasn't so much what he was saying it was the sarcastic smug tone of it coming from somebody who has a job who gets a paycheck every two weeks and I mean, I get it. I was in that bubble too, right? Working in television news, you're in a bubble. Like, I'm sorry, but you're not out. You don't know real people. You just don't. Your circle of friends is small. And same with when you're in government. Your circle of friends is small. Like, this guy, George, he's not, he's not volunteering in the downtown east side. He's not seeing what's happening. He's, I don't Like, are his kids in school? Does he have a kid with a disability? Does he have a disability? Like, does he know what it's actually really like for 90% of the people? For, for yourself, as the mom of a, a kid with uh, Down syndrome and an advocate for parents of special needs kids, like, when you talk to people in that community, what do they think about the threat of COVID for their families and whether now is the time to be, you know, dropping the mask mandate, dropping the vax card? There are a lot of people who have not had their kids at school the last two years because they're so worried about this virus for their child who may be medically complex. I mean, that's a whole other, you know, um, group of people that no one really discusses because we just file them under underlying conditions and it seems to be okay if they get it and maybe die from it because they had an underlying condition. And the friends that I have that have uh, children in school, my son is in a segregated classroom in high school where he's only with other disabled kids. And that's not fair to him. You know, like that is not fair. These kids are all in a classroom together. They're all disabled and they don't get to, you know, mix with the other kids because it's unsafe because there's no masks because people are tired of wearing a mask or people are tired of, you know, whatever it might be. I'm not saying, I, I, listen, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask, but yeah. don't, don't say to me, Oh, you're breathing in your own bacteria as I'm walking through a grocery store with my mask on. Like, okay. My guest is Tamara Taggart, former radio and TV host. Uh, she's an advocate for special needs kids in BC. We're talking about COVID in BC right now. So at the end of the day, last question for you, Tamara, like, do you think that when Bonnie Henry says, look, we've got to learn to live with this virus, we can't keep masking up forever, we can't keep checking people's vaccine cards at the door forever, do you agree with that, or do you think that we should have maybe kept these restrictions in place a little while longer? I, I mean, 
I turned on, I watched the, the news this morning and I'm hearing that we're, we're in a sixth wave or we're, yeah. it's the beginning of it. And we're seeing what's happening, you know, in Asia right now. And we're seeing what's happening in Ontario and, you know, 100,000 people. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I've, I am not an epidemiologist. I am not, you know, uh, a health expert by any means. I'm just somebody with lived experience and I'm going to wear my mask and so are my yeah. kids and so is my husband. And I just think it's a good thing for us to do if, you know, but I, I also understand that there's people that really think their, their freedom is really at stake here by having to put a mask on or something. So, I mean, it's so polarizing and I don't think it needs to be. I just think everybody just wants transparency and, you know, hasn't our public health office been saying this entire time, be kind. And I, I think that that's what we really need to do, including George, uh, you know, he needs to be a little kinder with his tweets there. Like, think about it. All right, Tamara, I'm glad you're feeling better. Thanks for coming on to talk about it today. Thanks, Mike. All right, let's talk about BC drivers now, and more specifically, Metro Vancouver drivers. Are they the best drivers in Canada, or are they the worst? Now, this is one of those eternal debates in our city, especially if you have lived in other parts of Canada. You move here, you get a different perspective on driving habits that you see on the road. And I've often heard it said by some that Vancouver drivers are bad drivers. Well, what does the science say on this? Well, it's inconclusive. There have been some stories and studies and reports that suggest Vancouver drivers are bad drivers. And a new study has just come out, suggests that Vancouver is actually home to some of the safer drivers in Canada. Now, let's have a listen to this. This is a report from Global News. You're here, Global BC reporter Aaron MacArthur here. This is from a study a few years ago that suggests that Vancouver has bad drivers. Have a listen to this. You can have all the best driving skills, all the knowledge of all the rules, but if your attitude doesn't fall up with those, we're going to find that uh, we're going to have some incidents on the road. A poll done by Insights West says British Columbians think drivers have gotten a lot worse over the last five years. Everything from blowing stop signs to turning without signaling. We see a lot of residents who are over 55 or middle-aged saying it's the young drivers who don't know the rules of the road, who think they can do whatever they want. And it's the young drivers in the Middle East who are saying there's too many drivers who are old, who are going too slowly. Okay, so that is one study that suggests Vancouver drivers are not very good. Brand new study just out, though, from Kijiji Autos that ranks the largest cities in the country and found that Vancouver is doing quite well when it comes to dangerous drivers on the road, that Vancouver has the fewest dangerous drivers in Canada. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Philippe Letourneau. Philippe is a former race car driver. He is a driving instructor. He's an expert who has appeared on the reality TV show, Canada's Worst Driver. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Philippe, thank you for coming on today. Hi, Mike. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, you My must pleasure. hear this. You hear this debate all the time. I mean, you're on the TV show Canada's Worst Driver. Like in your experience, Philly, are drivers do driver habits? Are they different depending on which part of the country you're in? Like, are some drivers better than others in different parts of Canada? Would you say? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, uh, my work got me to, you know, visit this country and drive in every province, coast to coast. And 
I think in general, uh, people from uh, BC are are more laid back in general, and I think it shows in their driving. <laughs> okay, they're how so? Well, they're obviously when you know you you you've been to Toronto many times. You go to Toronto, you feel people are stressed behind the wheel. Same thing in Montreal. I don't feel that vibe uh, that much in BC, but that doesn't mean that they're not. Uh, dangerous or or that they're still good drivers i will i would debate that part for sure i don't think bc has the best driver okay do you think let's talk about road rage for a minute like people who get angry behind the wheel like you mentioned a city like toronto where people are a lot of people maybe stressed out a lot of people are stressed out this day these days but do you think there'd be like more road rage in a city like toronto compared to say vancouver I would say so. Uh, it's uh, it's funny actually that you reach out to me, Mike. Just two months ago, I was uh, in Ottawa, and um, first time in my life that I got hit by a guy that had road rage. Literally ran into me with his pickup truck. I've never seen that ever in over thirty years of driving. So I feel people that are stressed will obviously take bad decisions behind the wheel, and cities like Toronto and Montreal. Uh, will definitely uh, bring your stress stress level higher. Okay, so this guy who hit you with his pickup truck, you mean he did that deliberately? Yeah, yeah. Wow. First time ever, yeah, I've never experienced something like that in my life. Uh, just got mad that I took off faster than him and just took his truck and ran into the vehicle that I was in. So uh, Holy. that was not a great experience. What, you mean like did he rear-end you? Where, where, did, he, where did he hit your vehicle? No, he, 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 after I started at the light, he catch up to me and just ran on the side of my car. <laughs> really? Like, yeah, yeah. Gee whiz, what did uh, you do? Well, obviously called the police, and oh. uh, the police didn't seem to care that much, to be honest with you. They just asked me if I was okay, if the other driver was okay. I said, yeah, but I don't think uh, that's a normal behavior. And he said, well, we'll give you a, a, a police report number, and that was it. <laughs> that was, uh, I was oh. a bit in shock. Wow, that is kind of shocking. My guest is Philippe Letourneau. Philippe is a driving expert, former race car driver. You've seen him on the TV series Canada's Worst Driver. So in British Columbia, Philippe, your thoughts on BC drivers. You think, you think the driver, the drivers here are not as good as the rest of Canada? Did you hear you right there? Yeah, like I said, maybe they're not dangerous driver, but if, yeah. if you base, uh, on, technical attribute if i could say that i don't think they're the best drivers no why is that like what kind of mistakes do you see in british columbia i don't know i've done many 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 driving events over the year in all the biggest city uh, and every time i do an event in vancouver me my crew and all the instructor i've noticed that the level of skill is not that good in general, why is that? Uh, that remains to be found. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it's been said that. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I mean, you're just you're just putting it out there. You're telling me what you really think, which I respect. Uh, do you think that it's often been said that in Vancouver, because we don't get as much snow and ice as other parts of the country, that when it does snow here, uh, people don't know how to can't handle it. They don't know how to drive in the snow. You think that's true? That could be true. Uh, uh, also, I, I, I would say to you, Mike, that I think, in, for example, in Quebec uh, and Ontario, I know it may sound bizarre, but we do have a, a bigger racing culture. People are more interested in driving, I think, 
in general. So that could be a fact too. Okay. When you were out there and you were seeing bad behavior on the road, like what are some of the most common driver errors that you see out there? Well, I think one thing I've noticed over the past few years, and there's no study on that, it's just me. I feel like people have forgot to be uh, part of a community and we are sharing public roads. I feel like people think that the road the roads belong to them. That's something that I've noticed a lot, lack of respect for others. Uh, that's something that I've noticed uh, a lot in the in the past two years, for sure. Yeah, what about distracted driving? You seeing a lot of that out there? People talking on their cell phones behind the wheel? Yeah, uh, that's something that uh, we brought up many, many times on the show. I think that's uh, something that will need to be resolved soon, maybe bigger fines uh, and something like that because it is definitely very dangerous okay so philippe last question for you you've got a unique perspective on driving behaviors and habits all across canada as being part of canada's worst driver the tv series where would you rank british columbia across the across the country are you are you telling me you think british columbians are the worst drivers in canada I would say uh, definitely Ontario because of the population, but uh, uh, per capita, maybe uh, some of the worst. Yes. Sorry about that, guys. Some of the worst. All right. Just telling telling how you feel. Philippe, it's been great to have you on here today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. All right. Welcome back. Here we go now with union certification rules in British Columbia. Should workers be required to vote in a secret ballot to join a union. Now, the rules are changing on this in B.C. Now, here's the deal on this. Under the previous system in B.C., if a union is trying to organize a workplace, the secret ballot was required. Workers must vote in secret about whether to join a union. Under the new rules just introduced by the NDP government, they're moving to what is known as a card check system. If 55% of workers sign a union card, then no secret ballot is required. The union is in automatically at that point. BC unions are happy about this. BC employers, not so much. Let's discuss this now with our panel. We've got an awesome panel here for you, both sides of it. Laird Cronk is the president of the BC Federation of Labor. I'm pleased to welcome him back. Hi, Laird. Hey, Mike. Thanks for coming on. Chris Gardner is the president of the Independent Contractors and Businesses Association of BC. Hi, Chris. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show today. Gentlemen, thank you both of you for being here. Laird Cronk, let me go to you, president of the BC Federation of Labor. You you must be pleased that BC wants to move to this card check system and drop the the secret ballot, correct? Really pleased, Mike. Look, um, this is a statute, uh, in fact, a charter rights and freedoms right of workers to join or form a union. And what we've seen in the province with the two-step system, where you have to vote essentially twice, once by signing a card, uh, once by secret ballot with a, really what ends up, and I can explain this later, a seven-day window in between, is we've consistently seen interference by employers, intimidation, the power imbalance in the workplace play out, and it gets in the way of the workers' right. So an expert panel looked at this about three years ago, that while they kept the second step secret ballot, they said changes need to be made. Um, so they moved from 10 down to five days. 
before the vote takes place, but intimidation uh, and coercion continued by employers. And the panel basically said, we'll try this going to five days, but if that doesn't work, then a secret ballot is problematic because it's interfered with before you ever get there. And, uh, and card check or single step becomes the, in their words, the compelling choice. So the government's looked at it. They tried it for three years with down to five days. Lo and behold, no surprise, employers uh, continued. They couldn't help themselves despite the notice served by the panel. They continued to coerce in some cases, many cases, all sorts of labor board uh, decisions and rulings. The government talked about a bunch of them the other day. So the government said enough is enough. We're going to make sure workers actually are entitled uh, to get to this right uh, in an achievable way. Okay. We're very happy to see it happen. Okay, so no more secret ballot to join a, join a union. That will make it easier for unions to certify and organize, correct, Laird? Uh, well, it absolutely will, because the secret yeah. ballot, while it sounds good in a vacuum, is never really a secret ballot in the second place, because you have this five-day waiting period where the employer is aware there's a union drive, and then many, many employers, and it's just proven in lots of labor board rulings, the government again talked about them, can't help themselves but to try and interfere and say, oh my God, I don't want a union here. I have 100% control over the workforce today, hiring, firing, wages, etc. Who's doing this? Why would they do this to me? And they, they say to workers all sorts of things. We'll fire you. In some cases, they do. When we find out who shows up at this vote, because the employer gets a scrutineer to watch who shows up at the vote, um, we'll know that you voted for the union. All sorts of things they're not supposed to do happen. Yes, there's rules that say they're not supposed to okay. do them, but we know they do them consistently. So this removes that. And, and I want to be clear about this, Mike. When you sign a union card, that's not an easy decision for a worker. Remember, our signature is good to get a driver's license, a mortgage, a rental agreement, a passport. It is the first vote, actually, okay. to get a union. Okay, let me go to Chris Gardner from the Independent Contractors. Chris, your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, it is quite alarming and disturbing that we're, in this day and age, we've got a government, any government, uh, stripping away a worker's right to express their opinion through a secret ballot. The secret ballot is the foundation of our democracy. And the reality is, that is the best protection for workers because current labor certification votes are, are certified um, and that process is overseen by the labor board. Um, workers go into a ballot box, they cast their vote free from undue influence from one side or the other. So the reality is if you really care about, if this government cared about protecting workers and respected the choice of workers, now remember that choice is the, the right to join a union, but equally the right not to join a union. And in construction, the reason why less than 15% of the 250,000 men, men and women who work in construction are members of the building trade unions because workers have decided not to join a union. You know, I've been on hundreds of job sites over the last five years as head of ICBA. I've spoken to thousands of workers. Not once has a worker come up to me and said, I don't like the secret ballot. Nowhere does anyone complain about the secret ballot. And the reality is, if there is employer intimidation, uh, the labor code is very, fair, the, the, is very clear. The penalty is severe. Automatic yeah. certification in the event employer inter interferes so like, with a union organizing process. Okay, so you heard Laird Cronk say that sometimes employers, if they find out a secret ballot is going to happen to join a union, they will intimidate these workers or, or threaten to fire workers if they, if they dare to join a union. Are you saying, Chris, that, that that does not happen, or if it does happen, it's illegal? Well, first of all, um, 
there's and 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 Mr. Clark made this point. There's only there's five days. Uh, there's a five day window from the, the the time the labor board says we've we've determined that enough cards have been signed and we're going to have this vote in five days. During that time, employers are barred from intimidation and coercion, and 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 if they do, if they're found to have done that, then a union is automatically certified. Okay, Laird Crock. So, that, was a change. so La- that that change is there. It exists. Okay, the Laird real Kronk. protection for the secret for the workers is a secret ballot, and this government is taking a major step backwards. They're eroding our democracy, and and it's something that workers um, should be very very concerned about. Laird Cronk, what do you say to that? Well, you know it's pretty rich, Mike. Uh, with due respect to your other guest, you've got workers and worker advocates saying we've got interference. You've got the expert panel that says um, whether it's secret ballot or not. Uh, if you can't stop employers from interfering by going from 10 to five days, uh, it's not really a secret ballot because they've been interfered with. And often they don't come forward. They're told, if you come forward, I'll find a way to fire you down the road. Like, it's just really problematic. It's here's Let's just do some simple, straightforward math. When big employers and big bosses around the province are throwing up their hands and screaming that this is going to be bad for workers, and workers and worker advocates are saying, thank goodness we can actually achieve without intimidation joining a union and have democracy in the workplace, the only way you get democracy in the workplace. I know where I'm putting my money, Mike, and uh, you can spin it any way you want. But but the the actual committee itself said, we'll go to five days, and I'm going to read you exactly what they said. If the enhanced measures are not effective, then there will be a compelling argument for card check or single step. They haven't been effective. We've seen labor board rulings time and time again that employers continue to interfere. This is simply about making sure workers have their access in a real way to charter rights. Okay, Chris Gardner, your thoughts on... Go ahead. Well, you know, the, the problem is that, that what this government doesn't want to accept is that workers, on most occasions, decide not to join the union. And there's lots of reasons for that. We are in... Right now, we're living through a generational challenge in terms of the shortage of labor. Compensation and wages are increasing. We're, we're predicting a 5% increase in the average trade wage rate in construction this year. Um, the workforce is changing. They want more options. They want more flexibility. What this government has done is they've gone back to the 1970s and pulled out that playbook and think it's going to address the challenges of the workforce today. The reality is very clear. The panel said very clearly that the best way to ensure that workers express their opinion and that and that we can all rely on the results is through a secret ballot. The challenge is the government wants to get to the end goal, their end goal of workers joining a union, when in fact most workers don't want to join a union. All right, welcome back. As we continue talking about the rules for organizing a union in British Columbia, should workers be required to vote in a secret ballot to join a union? The rules are changing on this the secret ballot being phased out under the new rules introduced by the B.C. government. If 55 percent of workers sign a union card, then the union is in automatically. There is no secret ballot. My guests are Laird Cronk, B.C. Federation of Labor, Chris Gardner, independent contractors. We've got both sides of it here for you. Laird, let me ask you this. Like you were talking earlier that the concern for you is employers intimidating workers to not join a union. Isn't that the reason why we have a secret ballot? So when you go into that ballot bo- box in in secret, 
you are free of intimidation. No one else is in there. No one's watching you how you mark the ballot. I mean, the intimidation can work both ways, can it, from the union and from the employer side? So isn't the, yeah. the secret ballot the best way to safeguard against in- intimidation? Your thoughts? Well, let's, let's talk about that, Mike. That's a good question. So what we know is, and the panel talked about this, I'm using their words again, the expert panel, certification votes occur in the context of the power imbalance between employers and workers in the workplace. Really what they're saying there is workers have signed a card, a labor board card, and on the card it's mandatory language says you agree that you want this union to represent you in the workplace. And then what happens is they have to wait five days, but it doesn't include weekends, so it takes like seven days. And the power imbalance in the workplace is employers often take workers into like a captive audience meeting one-on-one and say, don't tell anybody we had this chat. I'm going to shut down if folks do this. I want you to tell me you're not going to do it. Uh, Oftentimes, and we've seen unfair labor practice awards by the labor board in recent years since this panel's report, they do fire workers and they send a signal to the others. You do this, see what happens. Um, they have somebody at the ballot box watching who shows up, looking down their nose. Oh, we know you showed up to vote. It's laden with interference. The union does, has no power in the workplace. Well, what is it? What does right? it matter? Until they're what actually it, what certified, is it, what they does can't it matter, the worker to do anything. And I want to be clear, the labor board statistics don't show interference from unions because they don't have a power imbalance in the workplace. This is about making sure that workers can actually exercise their right. And I, again, to be clear, the, the expert yeah. panel didn't say and your guests tried to say they did, but they did not say secret ballots the only way to go. They said there's interference happening in this lag time between the two votes. Let's cut it down to five days from 10. If that doesn't work, go to single step. That didn't work, Mike. It's continuing to be interference and workers okay. can't access this charter right. Okay, let me go to Chris Gardner. Chris, what do you say to this, the, uh, the intimidation argument that Laird is making that once, as, the, as this secret ballot is approaching, employers are intimidating people to vote against the union? Your thoughts? Well, first of all, the penalties, as I said before, are very severe. If employers are found to be interfering in the process, intimidating people using coercion, uh, the penalty is automatic union certification. Uh, That is a very, very heavy stick. And and what your guest is failing to recognize is intimidation goes both ways. And so back in November of 2020, LIUNA, which is a laborers' union, a member of the Building Trades, a member of the BC Federation of Labor, said on their website, Uh, Do not sign cards. People coming to you with cards will make false promises and misrepresent the fact. Signing cards is a sneaky way to get a member to express their intent. That's coming from one of the biggest unions in the country. Don't sign cards. And the reality, Mike, you hit the nail on the head. The secret ballot is the best protection for workers. If this government really cared about workers, they wouldn't be stripping the secret ballot out from underneath them and taking a step backwards, going back to the playbook of the 1970s, eroding worker rights and diminishing our democracy. Okay, we just got two minutes left, gentlemen. Laird, I'll let you go first. We'll, I'll give you a minute each to sum up. Go ahead and make your summary points here about why you think phasing out the secret ballot is a good thing. Go ahead, your thoughts. Sure, Mike, and I appreciate the time today. Look, here, here's the bottom line of all of this. The government is going to remove the lag period of the second vote so there's no more interference because the panel said, try it out at five days and see if this will eliminate employer interference. Otherwise, the secret ballot isn't really a secret ballot. Intimidation and fear tactics have, have ruled the day, and it, and it skews it. Um, employers continue to do it. It's proven. It's a labor board ruling after ruling showing this. So now what we're at is what the panel said to the government is, then the only way is a single step or card check. Listen, Mike, 
when all of the workers and the worker advocates say this is good for workers, they'll finally get a chance to really have a union and have democracy. And when all the big union bo- or, or worker, uh, sorry, employer bosses uh, and employer organizations say this is bad for workers, I think people can do the math on this. They, what they really are saying is we don't want unions. We want all the power like we have it today, hiring, firing, etc. They're trying to pretend this secret ballot is the holy grail. The panel didn't say it is. They said it doesn't work if there's interference. Employers need to stop okay. the interference. They tried it for three years. They didn't stop it. It's time to give workers the right to join a union. It's a statute. Okay, Chris, Chris Gardner, your thoughts. You got a minute. Listen, the government clearly does not care or respect the workers' right to choose. Because if they did, they would respect the secret ballot. And the reality is the secret ballot is the best protection offered to a worker. And it's been in place in British Columbia for 30 of the last 38 years. We're in the middle of a historic shortage of labor. Uh, no one's intimidating workers. Everyone's trying to find workers and build their business and restore our economy. This is a step backwards. It is, it is right straight out of the playbook of the NDP from the 1970s. And the reality is um, that card check is using the words of a member of the BC Federation of Labor. It's, it's a false pretense. It's a sneaky way to, to secure worker intent. The best way okay. to get the intent of the worker is a secret ballot. 